And who am I? That's not a secret I'll never tell. You know you love me. XOXO. Gossip Welcome to XOXO, a limited series presented by Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. We are going to be talking about Gossip Girl, the 2021 revision, remake, revamp. We're going to have talks. Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk it out. I'm Joe Lipset, and I'm not joined by Brenna. She is sitting this one out, but I have brought in two absolute ringers to join me talking about Gossip Girl. So I'm joined by Ari Drew. Hi, Ari. Hi. Thank you for having me and bringing me in on this uh, wonderful trash fest that is Gossip Girl. <laughs> oh my gosh, so trashy. Uh, and then also returning guest star Jenny Nolf. Hi, Jenny. Hello, I'm so excited. <laughs> I oh love this boy. show. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I feel like I was telling you two off air that I'm going to be like the curmudgeonly 40 year old being like, these storylines don't make sense. And the two of you are just going to be cackling in the corner talking about how campy and trashy it is. Absolutely. And like, as I was watching it, I, I had moments when I was thinking too, like, oh, Joe is going to like have a reaction <laughs> about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you you both know me way way too well honestly i'm surprised you could get past episode one joe at your track record of ya tv series oh boy yeah uh <laughs> the, the early part of season one was a bit of a struggle but um maybe before we get into all of that we'll just say so this first episode we're going to be recapping the entire first season so there's 12 episodes it was broken into two six-part halves and then going forward we're going to be talking about one episode per week so we'll be covering the entire second season uh starting next week but I would love to hear your two thoughts on the sibling rivalry between Julian Calloway, played by Jordan Alexander, and her younger half-sister, Zoya Lott, played by Whitney Peake. So this kind of forms the, the basis of the show's early conflict when Zoya arrives in New York. She goes to this prestigious school with her secret sister, and we discover, oh, their dads have beef. They weren't really meant to know each other. And also there's a big rivalry for social media stardom. Yeah, Jenny, I'll let you get started since I know uh, I'm, I've am i only recently caught up with the show with season one. But Jenny, I know you've been a fan since day one, pretty much. Oh, my God. It's so true. I don't. <laughs> uh, but OK, so the sibling rivalry is a very interesting update i think especially since i felt like um it it didn't work for me at first i was okay. a little concerned actually when it started i think it finally started working towards the end of the season it's actually not my favorite part of the show mm -hmm. i i think that julian and zoya it, it went too back and forth at first but then right. towards the end it started at least making a little bit more sense to me and i do what I do appreciate about the show is that it didn't drag on some of the more teenage childish uh, rivalry parts. Mm -hmm. I feel like I do admire that Julian did try to give an olive branch multiple times. Like, I think that it actually, that's when it started feeling like they could be sisters. Mm -hmm. And what I like more about it, though, is the parents, actually. And I like okay. the, uh, I like the the layers of the parents and how it works because at first i was like how are these two siblings and i don't know i like the unfolding of that mystery mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you, Jenny, in initially that it didn't really work for me. And I guess because I wasn't initially like expecting that to be, I didn't know really anything about what the catalyst for this reboot was. So I was kind of surprised that it was looking to be like a sister versus sister thing. But mm. I really like both actresses, especially Zoya. Uh, I'm sorry, Whitney Peake. Mm hmm. So I think she's, I mean, I think they're both great, but I just really like the character of Zoya a lot. And I've, so I, I didn't have any problem with kind of like the lack of, I guess, like realistic back and forthness of it. Or like, um, I, I do agree that there is a lot of back and forth, but I was immediately taken back to OG Gossip Girl with that because it's almost like kind of like that glee thing where from week to week, people just kind of change oh, <laughs> their, gosh, their yeah. alliances and personalities. And you're like, what the hell is this? But you kind of have to suspend, I think, your your disbelief there a bit because of the type of show it is. So I, you know, I didn't love it at first. I actually love it when they were more so uh, on each other's side. I thought that that was mm -hmm. great and kind of kind of making their own little group away from the the core friend group um, of Julian. So yeah, no, I, I I'm I'm at the point now where I'm very happy with where things have ended as far as season one goes, and I'm excited to see what they're gonna do as far as. Uh, having these sisters be on the same side, hopefully more consistently, because I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't love the back and forth of the Gossip Girl model narrative model, if you will. Yeah, it felt very, very indebted to the Blair versus Serena model that the original series adopted, where it was like, some days we're best friends, and then other days we totally fucking hate each other. And you're like, okay, that's fine, but you can't do it every episode and sometimes even within a single episode. So I'm with both of you. I actually quite liked it when the two sisters were kind of getting along and they were having to figure out their relationship. But I realized that that's when the show, to me, approximates a more traditionally paced and sort of structured YA show, as opposed to being over the top and really trying to go for those sensational storylines. One of my struggles early on was that I needed that grounding, like I needed at least a couple of these characters to be kind of real so that the big wacky shenanigans played better because it wasn't just the whole show. So I know the two of you are big fans of Luna La, played by Zion Moreno, and Monet Dehan, played mm -hmm. by Savannah Lee Smith, which are like Julian's two sort of like PR and visual aesthetics, like assistants. Mm -hmm. And I came to really like them, but in those initial episodes where they're deliberately going against Julian's wishes and trying to like sabotage Zoya, I was really frustrated because not only were these two not characters, but they just seemed to be there to create conflict. And I was like, we've got so much other conflict, please. So for me, especially, uh, I, I don't know if I've expressed this in our little group chat of the show, but I'm obsessed with Luna. Mm -hmm. I think she is just the, her attitude, her energy. I think she embodies what I think of when I think of Gossip Girl uh, as a, as a brand and as a, you know, and especially the reboot. So I guess like I didn't really have an issue kind of jumping on board with the, uh, the lack of relatable characters. I know that Zoya is kind of like the stand in for the outsider. And even mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm so, like, sorry, y'all. You all still live where you live. So let's be real. <laughs> it's not that relatable at the end of the day. Okay, them trying to pull a Zoya is poor on me. Oh I'm gosh. like, yeah. miss me. Her dad is a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> a <laughs> Whatever. Lawyer, he yeah. is a lawyer. That's yeah, right. A lawyer. He has a doctorate 
is a lawyer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, miss me. I'm sorry. You're wealthy <laughs> as hell. But um, no, Luna, I, I immediately connected with her a little bit more than Monet, admittedly, because I felt like, yeah, I agree with Andrew. I felt like she just fit the series perfectly. She knew the mm-hmm. show she was in. And I feel like with Monet, they didn't know what to do with her until no. the end of the season yes. where I was like, finally, you give her something to do. Because I felt like with these two characters specifically, they weren't given anything to do until episode mm-hmm. seven or six, six or seven. Yeah, so for me, the show really finds itself in episode six, which ironically is the last episode in that first half. It's the Thanksgiving episode where everybody is forced to come together under one roof and basically all the secrets get spilled. But also there's even great moments of like hilarity because so in this reboot, the role of Gossip Girl is still voiced by one Kirsten Bell totally fucking iconic but uh she is embodied by three different characters who are teachers at this private school and they basically do it as a form of control so we have kate keller is kind of the ringleader played by tavi gevinson and then she has a lackey named jordan glassberg who is played by adam chandler barat and he likes her i thought he was queer coded for about 11 of the 12 episodes but sure (laughs) yeah he is queer in real life, I believe. Maybe that's it. I, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. That, we just that see might explain it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third member of their group is like office assistant Wendy, played by Megan Ferguson, who I really enjoy and wish she had more to do. But uh, what do we think of this decision to make Gossip Girl adults? Ooh, I thought this was so like this was such a twist to me i didn't know that this was how okay Mm -hmm. yeah i had no idea that that's actually what kind of the the hook was for this season with respect to how gossip girl you know comes back up and i think i think the setup obviously was it was uh expectedly clunky it was very Mm -hmm. expository and and just kind of very easy but once it gets going i know that you joe had an issue with like the teacher storyline but I kind of feel the way about them now that I do about the parents, as in, I think that the parent stuff and the teacher stuff is really fascinating, and sometimes Mm. more so than the main drama, particularly between uh, Zoya and Julian. So I I was on board. I was really surprised by that, and I've come to, like, adore Kate, and uh, I have a a lovely little crush on Jordan. (laughs) And Jenny? Oh, my God. Uh, I actually had a friend, two friends I texted about this show every week when it was started up, and swear to god every week i was like throw these teachers in jail <laughs> like oh, in, in real life those teachers would not be allowed to do this to students and no. i was just like this is actually kind of crazy that they're going with this and they're it's taking criminal. it so seriously but i do think it is brilliant to have um i mentioned this to you both in our private chat but tavi gevinson as kate who is actually like a real life gossip girl. She started an online magazine that was really popular for teenage girls when she was Mm. like 12 or 13. Like it was Mm -hmm. very young. So she pretty much is gossip girl. So it like, it makes sense that she's playing her in this show. And it's, I don't know, absolutely fascinating. But when will one of these teachers get thrown in jail? Oh gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, we we do have the classic YA storyline where a teacher is sleeping with a student. So that would be uh, Rafa, who is played by Jason Gautier. And at one point, he seizes control of Gossip Girl, locks Kate and the others out. And then he eventually relinquishes control. But it basically comes down to this feud he has with a student, Max Wolf, who is played by Thomas Doherty. And basically, Rafa sleeps with a senior almost every year. And I mean, thankfully, we did away with Rafa. It seems like he is not going to be in the second season. But it was perplexing to me that one of these teachers had real consequences. And the other three have just kind of been like, "Ooh, dodged a bullet. You know, we we got one other teacher fired. We got uh, another one to retire, <laughs> like after accusing her of theft at a party. And I feel like they're presented as as bad as the teenagers, which is an interesting angle for the show to adopt. I mean, what I do appreciate, at least about this re-envision of Gossip Girl, is that Rafa wasn't seen as, you know, in Pretty Little Liars, the teacher dating Mm. the girl. It's hot. It's sexy. Like, this was presented as sexy at first, but then immediately, like, they subvert that. And they're like, actually, this isn't sexy at all. This is abusive to Mm. Max. And I, I liked that the show was... It shouldn't be bold for a YA show to like be like, yeah, no, that's actually not okay. But <laughs> this uh, is it, I felt pretty bold. <laughs> yeah, I think like the the power dynamics is something that that's not ever really called out, and more so, I guess that's more commonplace to talk about things like that now with our media and with the stories that we tell. Um, and so, of course, you know, thinking of like a like an Arya and Ezra scenario where it's romanticized, mm-hmm. you don't really talk about the power dynamic and how how screwed up that really is. And the thing is, like, it's not obviously the age of consent is discussed pretty explicitly. Right. I think, you know, to to keep that that part of the discussion at bay. Um, but there is still identification of the fact that this can be very harmful and that it's really just gross and icky. And Rafa, I just think, I you know, the actor, I think he just plays him to that perfect like sleaziness because he's really horrible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think. That whole thing around. So what's interesting to me is, you know, we've talked a bit about how realistic or unrealistic a lot of the setups are with these private school teachers, with these kids basically running things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so they're, they're, you know, clapping back with this, with this whole concept of how do we control and manipulate the lives of these kids (laughs) under the guise of thinking they're doing something you know, really good for them, which I think is hilarious that they really, oh my gosh. they really, Oh my God. I cannot wait for it to bite them in the butt oh, eventually. Yeah. But I will say this. I used to, when I was in college, I went to school in New York and I used to tutor private school kids in the Upper East Side. Ooh. And I will tell you right now, like there are certain things in the show that I'm like, this isn't like totally out of the realm of possibility for something mm-hmm. like this to happen. Like I had kids who literally, I was just being paid to sit there and watch them and make sure they didn't like run off and go do crazy things with their friends. So right. it's, you know, there that kind of privilege does exist. And I do, you know, probably think that there are scenarios like this that exist in certain social spheres. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think some of this stuff, I'm like, oh, this is so cringe. And it could very well be happening right now. 
Oh, oh my gosh, god, I yeah. hope there's a real team of Gossip Girl teachers at an Upper East Side school in New York. That would actually make <laughs> my life. <laughs> oh, Lord. It's not impossible, Jenny, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it, it's interesting that you say that this could happen, Ari, because I know the original show wasn't actually that far removed in terms of the wacky shenanigans that all of those kids got up to. And It is a commentary on often rich, often white, uh, very urban teenagers who are just growing up with all of this power and privilege, right? And I feel like the new show has just recognized, okay, the things that were sensational on that first run are not going to work anymore. Like, oh my God, having a threesome, that is not enough anymore. So like, instead, this new show just says, hey, we're going to take three of these characters and spend pretty much the entire season negotiating to get them into a thruple. But it's not provocative. It's just like, this is what we need to do to make our relationship survive. It's so romantic, actually, which I love. I think it's so damn sweet. That's one thing I really appreciated uh, probably the most about this reboot is how it handles mm-hmm. uh, Max and Audrey and Aki. Yes. So uh, Aki is Evan Mock, and he has been dating Audrey Hope, who is played by Emily Allen Lynn, who is the sister Lexi. from Chucky, um, yeah, Lexi. Lexi, which is wild. But as soon as you realize it, you're like, oh, yeah, I can you totally You can't unsee it. it yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and over the course of the season, Aki and Audrey discover that their relationship is sexually dysfunctional. They still really love each other. They want to support each other. But Aki comes to realize that he is bisexual and they try to open up the relationship. It doesn't work. It only works when they're with Max. And then they have to somehow convince Max, hey, you're a real person, not just a pansexual sex god. And we could try to make this work. I really like the approach to that. Because mm-hmm. what I thought worked in Gossip Girl, the original series at first, was it's kind of like, you know, scandalous, like sexiness. Mm-hmm. But it got tiring after a while. It and really what I did. think um, works is that it has a bit of sexiness with that. Like, I think Audrey, Max, and Aki are like the sexiest, like the three sexiest people on the show. Okay. And it like, it works then that they're actually doing it from a, a human angle yes. versus uh, we're teens and we're horny angle. Yes, I lo- that's when I, you know, whenever I would hear about the reboot being just like a super queer show, in my mind, right. I'm thinking, okay, well, we're just going to get a lot of like salacious queer sex and, and you know, scandal like that. And watching and admittedly, this- we do kind of get oh, that. Oh, we do. No, we absolutely, <laughs> like you get, it's like you get as much as you would hope to get from an, an HBO Max, you know, airing Gossip right. Girl project. But I think the thing that really worked for me is the queer representation, not just of you know, like uh, LGBTQ characters, but just like queerness of different types of relationships that you can have mm-hmm. that are intimate. And I think this, uh, you know, being poly and being or being in this ruffle is just like the way that it's handled with such normalcy and all, honestly, like a lot of grace. I was really mm-hmm. happy to see on TV, especially in a show about teens. Yeah, there's there's definitely a couple of beats where you think, oh, are they doing this just to be a little bit over the top and make it, you know, kind of unrealistic. And I don't want to go into like, where do we think season two is going to go? But my hope is that the show recognizes that these three are actually the most grounded characters, and the ones that the audience can emotionally invest in the easiest. They were the reason I kept watching from the beginning. Hmm. Uh, Admittedly, I think, Joe, I told you this, and I 
I was surprised that it also was episode six where it all came together for you. But mm-hmm. I was watching week to week and I was like, why? Because <laughs> the only characters I liked were these three. And right. I was because like the like I said, the Julian Zoya like conflict was not working for me. And I thought Obi was the most boring man on this planet. Oh, my God. And- I still do. I still do. <laughs> he I still, still do. is. There's a reason we haven't talked about that character. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I was like, why am I watching this show? And then it was the scene in the episode six where they kind of come together. And, you know, the, it comes rocky again eventually. But it was mm-hmm. like, no, this is why I'm watching the show. I really like these three a lot. And I love their parent dynamic as well. Like Aki's specifically, I love uh, his family dynamic. Oh, his, it interests me a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've got Roger Menzies, who is played by Malcolm fucking McDowell as yeah. a right-wing publisher who is basically in bed with Obi's mother, Helena, who is played by Lene Renee, and they're clearly up to shady business deals. Like, there's heavy insinuations that Aki's dad is belligerent or unaccepting of queer employees, but also, like, there's a mini storyline where they're basically moving transient homeless people so that they can do some kind of construction work. And you're like, cool, so you two suck. Uh, but then we also have Jody Menzies, who is played by Hetian Park, who I will love, love forever love, love. because Same. she is from Hannibal. Yes. Yes. Uh, she's so good. She's, uh, she's just stunning. And just like she, I don't know, she just commands the screen. Like everything she does, I'm like, I want more of this woman. And Oh, always. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if anything, it, it's funny, Jenny, when you said, you know, I really started to come around and appreciate the adult cast. I was like jenny what are we talking about the adults are always boring on ya but then i realized you know i only really truly became invested in julian when all of the stuff with her father played by luke kirby who's like a successful record producer guy he gets accused of sexual harassment and she ends up having to like not only connect with zoya because they protect each other and kind of go on the run but also she has to negotiate all of these ideas about who she thought her father was and Aki has to do the same thing with his dad when his dad outs him on public TV for basically sympathy and I was like oh these relationships are actually really fascinating I just need more yeah I think the show is kind of finding finding that to be more interesting because it is I I mean a lot of the like with the old Gossip Girl I did like the parents you know especially like Blair's mother I loved I loved watching her but mm-hmm. a lot of the drama with them and like the romance, the romantic will they, won't they stuff did not ever work for me. I would tune out with like mm-hmm. Rufus and, you know, it was just so oh much <laughs> that, I did, that I didn't care about. But this time around, I I think it's really I think there's a lot of integration. It doesn't feel completely separate, which I think is works for me well. Hmm. What did you think of where we left off with Nick? That's Zoya's dad, who is the lawyer and kate who was getting close to him because she just did genuinely like him but also because she recognized oh i can dig up things for gossip girl and then he ends up taking money from julian's dad to stay where they are so that he doesn't have to relocate an hour away to like i think they said brooklyn but oh how poor them oh i know Sorry. Yeah. Is it Brooklyn? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it's like the asshole of Brooklyn or something. Mm -hmm. That that is kind of far. It's a different world. But yeah. Uh, I I actually think it it. was more upstate New York. Yeah, that makes more sense. It might have been. Yeah. (laughs) 
But I thought it was really fascinating that Kate tries to make Zoya's dad feel bad about taking the deal. And he's just like, fuck you, don't tell me what it means to be a parent and the sacrifices you have to make. Because at this point, he's got not just Zoya, but also Julian living with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really fascinating to have the character of uh, Kate be essentially a white woman trying to tell. And I know that it is really yeah. weird that a lot of these, like I, I've seen the critiques are like this many people of color would not be at this half of a school, whatever, who cares? I don't care. Uh, but also but- maybe we need to check our privilege when we're making accusations like that, because there yes. are plenty of wealthy people of color as well. There like are. we don't Absolutely. live in that world anymore. And, like, they do make a point that, you know, Nick, lawyer that he is, uh, still is a a man of color trying to give his daughter the best Mm -hmm. education that she can get and the best, like, opportunities that she can get. And there's this, like, white girl who is mad at all these rich students and telling a a man of color how to raise his daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of layers there. Yeah, and I think that that's what what really makes this like work right now for me because there's so much of this while I was watching it that I thought man just one misstep and you could really mishandle this and it could just flop like it could just Mm -hmm. miss the mark as far as like any kind of generational or class commentary but the thing for me that works is that I do think that it still is very aware of the complicated nature of some of these situations and interactions and like moral gray areas and you know that's kind of what makes Gossip Girl Gossip Girl but it's more relevant now that more people are aware and talking about these things aware of and talking about these things so i really appreciated that moment because it's like okay well as a person of color i would absolutely fucking jump at any any opportunity Mm -hmm. if someone was going to give me money to like secure my family's livelihood so right yeah and there's a lot there's a number of other moments that i just really enjoyed that have to do with kind of this you know more the more uh, heightened awareness around social issues uh, among gen z and like even um looking at zoya at the the, the dinner party where she's calling out uh, Ooh, malcolm mcdowell yeah. which i i love that i there's just so many moments like that that i would just like giggle and clap whenever people got a good clap back at <laughs> at someone around any of these issues mm-hmm I will say Obi is boring as hell, oh but boy. I love the stand-in of this guy who thinks he's so it because mm-hmm. he's like so into like politics and philanthropy and he's uh-huh. just better than everyone else. And he's like this gangly white guy that like has more money than God. And I, I don't know. I feel like the show could continue to explore that and make it very interesting. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and it says that Obi is an extremely wealthy do-gooder who is considered a guilty rich. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that's yeah. more or less appropriate, Accurate, right? Yes, yeah, because he's not doing this because it's from the good of his heart. He just feels guilty that he is rich. Essentially, at the end of the day. Well, yeah. and I I love that Zoya is also not afraid to eventually call him out as not just being overcompensating to the point of ridiculous, but she she calls him on his privilege and his kind of faux activism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Which love I loved. That. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, uh, he reminds me of of a more like I guess if you could say this a more grounded character, like a more grounded version of the character that Austin Abrams, who's Ethan in Euphoria, plays in mm. the movie. Um, what's the movie? Uh, Do Revenge. He's, right. He reminds me a lot of that because it's so performative. But the thing with Obi is that it's very clearly that 
he's like, I do this kind of like not even really knowing why he does certain things, not even really having a clear understanding of the meaning behind a lot of these gestures. And I, and I love seeing people like that get called out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's two parents that we haven't talked about, and that's Max's two fathers. Uh, so we have Gideon Wolf, who is played by Todd Allman. That's Max's theater dad, who is exploring almost like a like a gender identity. So he is dressing more feminine. He has grown out his hair. And as a result, uh, there's a rift in his relationship with Roy Sachs, who is played by John Benjamin Hickey. To the point where Roy ends up basically going on Grinder to explore options. This storyline felt a little chaste to me. Like the idea that these two men had never had a conversation about opening their relationship or, you know, they'd been together for so long and just how much Max overreacts to which father is guilty and which one he's going to side with and... I don't know. This one felt a little bit tone deaf to me in its handling of open relationships within specifically gay relationships. So I think the the thing for I, I don't I don't agree with that. Um, mostly because I think it handles an issue that's really interesting. Okay. Um, number one, like you know, we're we're led to believe that these are older older men, queer men, mm-hmm. and so um, so this idea of I think it subverts maybe our expectations of thinking like, yeah, they're okay. They should be okay just going around fucking everyone. And mm-hmm. the thing is that maybe they they do have that in their past or in their history, but in the context that's presented in the show, it's this idea of like, of uh, Gideon's gender expression changing over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Roy essentially telling him like, I don't find you attractive anymore because mm-hmm. of this. Like, I think that that's a really interesting angle for this. It's not just, this is a horny gay man trying to step out i think it represents like a really kind of interesting conflict in a relationship where you have so much fluidity in gender expression and potentially exploration of gender identity Mm -hmm. Um, but but also like keeping it to where you know this character still uses he him pronouns for at this point in time so yep um so i just i just think it's a really interesting and, and probably more complex representation of this kind of older queer relationship than most people are used to seeing. So I actually Mm. didn't mind it. And I do, and I actually think it's really lovely to see Max react so strongly because it shows pretty early on how much love he really does have for his family. And like, you know, he's like the Chuck Bass, like at his core, he's right. He has a lot of heart. He has a lot of love. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it played out to me. But, but I do, Mm. I do get to a degree kind of what you're saying. I guess it just didn't land that way with me. I I think what I wanted was more of what you're talking about, Ari, where it's like, let's talk about what it means to fall out of love with somebody after you've been with them for so long, and you realize we are two different people, like we're not in the same place. And filtering that through a lens of gender expression would have been really interesting. I just felt like it played more as, ooh, older gays who are cheating, like, this is how Grindr can fuck up gay relationships. And I was like, oh, is that the most interesting way you could have explored this particular storyline. Hmm. Oh, I, I didn't feel that way when I was watching it. And actually okay. the one scene I I did really like was the one where he sits down with Max and has this conversation. And he gets very emotional about mm-hmm. like how he fell out of love with his husband and he just doesn't know where to how to go back. Mm-hmm. I, I found that to be very interesting. I feel like that happened too late in the season. I think it, Maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would love for that kind of scene to be explored a little bit more. 
mm-hmm. in the upcoming season, yeah, possibly. Well, and maybe that's a good point for us to segue into where do we think the show is going to go in season two? So obviously, this episode is dropping on the day of the season two premiere. So we're going to be playing a little bit of catch up each week. But Jenny, let's start with you. What are one or two things you would like to see the show do? Or where do you think it's going to go? One thing I want to see the show have the thruple until the end and not have any conflicts within the relationship proper until <laughs> yeah. season three. I would just okay. like a full season of happy thruple right. uh, and it just be emotional turmoil, like personally, not romantically. Mm. Um, uh, and another thing I would love to see is honestly more Luna. I think I think she needs a lot more screen time. <laughs> yeah, because we end that that final episode with hints that she might be interested in this stable boy who works at Aki's obsessed, absolute palatial mm-hmm. house. Yeah, so I I feel like the show started to realize oh people are responding to this character and this trans actress, so we need to start doing more with her. Yeah, they need to do a lot more with her. I am obsessed with her. I follow her on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, she's absolutely stunning. Oh, I follow, yeah. Beautiful. I, honestly, I follow all of them now. So, oh, uh, really? I do okay. too. I'm obsessed with <laughs> all of them now. Okay, except Obi. I don't follow Eli Brown. Sorry. Oh. I do follow him because he's a cutie and I like to look he at him. He is a cutie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this cast is it's a hot fucking cast. stunning. Yeah, it really is. Um, Ray used to follow Evan Mock. He doesn't even watch the show. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I, I think Evan Mock is the hottest, if we're being he, honest. He but. is. Uh, he's so, yeah. So anyhow, I would love to see, uh, Jenny, I completely agree. It's one of those scenarios that I'm like, please don't like, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand, mess this up. But don't mess up the thruple. I just love the dynamics there so much. There's so much you can do with that. I, I just think that it's, and it's great to see that representation on TV and not have mm-hmm. it like stigmatized in some or, or, you know, I just, I really appreciate how it's been handled so far. So I'd like to see more of that. I actually right. would love to see more, um, you know, with the way it's set up with kind of the new uh, Blair to Julian's Serena in Monet that, you know, with the way we end season oh, one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would love to see that with more of like the other mean girls, you know, from the other school. So like the Pippa mm. and Bianca and like more of that kind of dynamics. And, you know, of course, I, I I'm being like thirsty for drama, but I'm like, let's see some of these <laughs> these groups go at each other. And I would love to see more like uh, iconic New York events uh, showcase in the show. And, you know, obviously they don't go to class. I've never seen any of them in a class. No. In the show, so we can get away from Amazing. the school. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of expanding the rivalry to include the other school. They definitely dipped their toe in it a couple of times in season one. And it felt like there's potential to do that. The problem mm-hmm. is, is that then you've got to introduce potentially a whole new suite of characters for them to play off of. Unless you're just going to make it about this Pippa and Bianca rivalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I would also be done with that. One character we haven't talked about because she shows up very late in the season is Zoya's new friend, Shan Barnes, who is played by Grace Dua. And I'm hopeful, and also I kind of feel like I already know that she is going to be a much bigger presence because she was a guest star in the last couple of episodes and then she becomes a series regular in season two. So mm. I'm hopeful that... The show knows how to balance her because I found the character slightly grating, but I like what she does for Zoya, which is like, no, we can have fun. You don't have to play with the rules, but also there's ways to get around the pre-established rules to benefit Mm -hmm. yourself. 
Yeah, I think she's lovely, and I'm excited to see more of her. She's very much like Willa Holland's character Agnes in the original for right. like to Jenny. Oh, yeah. Um. So and who I love, I love that dynamic too. I always love like a hey, let's bring you to the dark side a little bit, good girl. So mm-hmm. yeah, hoping for more of that for sure. All right. Um. Any other final predictions? I I think Nick might find out about who is Gossip Girl by the end of the season. Uh, is that too early in the series? I mean, hmm. Would it be oblivious if he just kept like not noticing? Maybe. I mean, season one sort of ended with them at odds, so I'll be interested if it takes the better part of a season or a half season to kind of get them back together. Because you know, the show is pretty clear at telegraphing who's going to stick together and who's not. Mm-hmm. Like Zoya and Obi. The minute that they said that they were dating, I was like, no, they are absolutely not. Stop it. You're <laughs> not convincing up. any of us. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested because we end on a kind of cliffhanger where Julian makes some sort of clandestine deal with Gossip Girl and Kate accepts, but we don't know what the conditions are. So I think Julian says on one condition and Gossip Girl says, I accept. And then we see everybody's phone activate with Gossip Girl posting updates. And... I'll be interested to know if Kate has actually learned anything from these experiences. One thing I don't want to see happen is I don't want any more of this. We're locked out of the account. You know, who's got control of Gossip Girl? I thought it was funny once, but I swear, I think it happens about three or four times in that first season, which is way too much for 12 episodes. Yeah, they're going to need to think of something, some other ways to kind of raise the stakes a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually kind of hoping that we're going to see Julian working with Gossip Girl, and that is going to produce a different kind of conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. One thing I just want to add very quickly is I do mm-hmm. like how we know who Gossip Girl is in this series, because yes, God did I hate at one point in the first series that we just did not know. Oh, yeah. It, get, it gets exhausting, for sure, in the, in the OG. Yeah, they, they needed to pull the plug on that and just do it and then be able to continue telling stories. So I, I agree with you. Still, I'm not 100% sure how this teacher stuff is going to work because it really does make them kind of deplorable. Like, I don't know what sane adult could justify what they're doing to these kids. Well, I think that this is where this is where the suspension of disbelief comes yes. in because <laughs> the way I've described this show, I, I'm so far removed from it with regard to class and Gen Z, you know, the Gen Z removal, because I'm not in Gen Z, that this show plays out like complete fantasy to me. A hundred percent. Like sci-fi, honestly. It's like, it's its own thing. And I'm like, yeah, sure. This is how the world is in Gossip mm-hmm. Girl. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's just roll with it. <laughs> you have to roll with it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, if folks want to get a hold of us, you can do so by using the hashtag HKHSpod or you can send us an email at hkhspod at gmail.com. But Jenny, if people want to talk Gossip Girl Season 2 with you, how would they do so? Please tweet at me. I am obsessed with this show. I will talk about it endlessly. Uh, my handle is Jenny Lee x 33 and Lee is spelled L-E-I-G-H. Absolutely fantastic. And Ari, if people want to chat with you. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter, I am on uh, Instagram, and now I'm on Hive in case Twitter, you know, takes a takes a oh further boy. dive. And it's uh, <laughs> the T-H-E-R-E-Drew, A-R-I-D-R-E-W, and I would love to chat about this, to chat about anything else uh, related to other trashy television or uh, <laughs> TV shows or movies. Anytime. Oh boy, that's opening yourself up right there. <laughs>
Bring it. <gasps> nice. And uh, I can be reached at B Snow My Remote, and that's the letter B. So, yeah, folks, uh, we will talk to you next week about season two, episode one. But until then, XOXO. You know you love me. XOXO. Gossip Girl.